This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight we present an episode of the Damon Runyon Theater. Who was Damon Runyon? Well, he was an American newspaper man and short story writer and best known for his short stories celebrating the world of Broadway in New York City that grew out of the Prohibition era. To New Yorkers of his generation, a Damon Runyon character evoked a distinctive social type from the Brooklyn or Midtown area. The adjective Runyon-esque refers to this type of character as, as well as to the type of situations and dialogue that Runyon depicted. He spun humorous and sentimental tales of gamblers, hustlers, actors, and gangsters, few of whom go by square names, preferring instead colorful monikers such as Nathan Detroit, Benny South Street, Big Julian, Harry the Horse. His distinctive vernacular style is known as Runyonese, a, a mixture of formal speech and colorful slang, almost always in present tense and always devoid of contractions. He would say things like, I would not do that, rather than, I wouldn't do that. Runyon's fictional world also known to the general public through the musical Guys and Dolls. The musical additionally borrows characters and story elements from a few Runyon stories. He was also a well-known newspaper reporter, covering sports and general news for decades for various publications and syndicates owned by William Randolph Hearst. So here, you, here we go, back to 1948, for the episode, Bloodhounds. The Damon Runyon Theater. Once again, the Damon Runyon Theater brings you another story by the master storyteller... Damon Runyon, and this one, The Bloodhounds of Broadway. And to tell it to you, here is Broadway. Thanks. You know, at four in the morning along the main stem, one is apt to see many peculiar things. For example, it is about that time I am standing in front of Mindy's with regret the horse player. We are talking of things, mostly nothing, when we hear something happening at the curb. Oh, please, just a nightcap. I said no. It's early. It's only four. It is too late as far as I'm concerned, Mr. Clay. Good night. Oh, now, wait a minute, baby. I said good night. I guess she says good night, Broadway. She does it with a great deal of gusto. I do not blame her in the least. <laughs> Regret? Who is the citizen she does not wish any more part of? Him? That is Marvin Clay. You know him. Oh, yeah. He has plenty of scratch. Yeah, from his father. Yeah, there is a guy like Marvin Clay who is loaded. Here is a guy like me who is the opposite. Will you take his money if you have to be him? Oh, 
Uh, that is something I do not care to offer an opinion on right now. Uh, holy mackerel, Broadway, look at what is coming down this way. From where I am standing, it looks like a citizen leading two ponies. Broadway, those things are dogs. Dogs? I never see dogs that big. It must be glandular with them. Now, what do you suppose that strange-looking character is doing with dogs this hour of the morning? get our answer to that in a couple of seconds. Also, what happens with the dogs and regret and Marvin Clay is more than somewhat interesting because it includes the gendarmes, a shooting, and something that is strange indeed, which I will tell you about in a minute. Now, back to the Damon Runyon Theater and the famous story, The Bloodhounds of Broadway. Well, like I am saying, Regret spots the dogs and the character who leads them with two long ropes. They get up to us, and Regret says as follows. Hi there. Me? You talking to me? Uh-huh. Oh. Hi. Well, one thing about being up this early in the morning, the conversation is not long and dull. So long. Hey, hey, uh, wait a minute. Me? Yeah, yeah, you. Uh, what are those dogs you have got there? Mine? Yeah, well, what kind are they? Bloodhounds. They have got ears like bedsheets. How old are they? Coming on three. The yellow one's nip and the brown one's tuck. Ah, three years old, huh? What's the matter with them? Nothing. Why? Well, they are very wrinkled. Nip there especially. He looks like he has many things on his mind. Yep. <coughs> That's tuck. How are you, tuck? Hey, why, why does he make that noise, huh? He smells food. He ain't eaten in two days. Well, then get him away from my legs. Nip's hungry, too. Come to think of it, so am I. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Wait. You mean these poor animals do not eat for two days? That's the size and parcel of it, mister. I do not like to see animals suffer. What do they eat? Taint particular. Long as it'll taste something like food. Your nip is looking at me. I, I do not like that. Won't hurt you none, mister. Lesson you done something. They is man-tracking bloodhounds. Follow a man from one end of earth to other. How do you like that? Gendarmes with fleas. Mm, uh, tell you what. I do not like to see animals suffer. Uh, you bring them in Mindy's and I will set them up to some food. I'm hungry too. Okay. Come on. Hey, wait a minute, Regret. You are not figuring to take them Shetland ponies in Mindy's. Why not? Guess it won't hurt them. Come on. <laughs> Several sirloin steaks later, plus borscht, goulash, soup, and various other articles of food, John Wangle, it turns out this is the citizen's name, wipes his mouth on his sleeve and settles back. Nip and Tuck are full too, and are now sleeping with their ears over their eyes. Wangle tells us how he happens to be in New York with man-tracking bloodhounds from Georgia. 
Well, mister, I brung Nip and Tuck North with old-time Uncle Tom's cabin show. Show went plumb bust, and me and the dogs did, too. First meal I had in two days. Why do you not go back to Georgia? Got no money. Would you ever think of selling the dogs? Sell Nip and Tuck? Not on your life, mister. They is the finest man-tracking hounds in the country. Is there very much of a market for that work? Nope. Is there nobody you are able to write to, a, a relative? Well, yep, my, my uncle's a sheriff, ah. but I can't write. Ah. Come to think of it, wouldn't do me no good to write him anyway. Why not? He can't read. I see. Well, uh, uh, what do you plan to do, Mr. Wangle? I don't know. Make out best I can, I reckon. Yeah, I hate to see animals suffer. Tell you what, Mr. Wangle, you drop by here now and then. I'll take care of the food. That's right nice of you, mister. Maybe me and the dogs will be able to pay you back someday. That's Nip. Dreaming again. Dreaming of tracking somebody down. Hi, and Nip. <laughs> nice. Mister, if you ever need anybody tracked down, just call on me and Nip and Tuck. We'll find whoever you want, no matter where. Uh-huh. Meantime, uh, where do you live? Well, uh, we've been staying at a public park north of here, but seeing as how Mr. Regret has taken an interest, I figure maybe moving in closer to town will be just about right. So, Regret, because he is very soft-hearted about animals, takes the bloodhounds under his wing. But it seems that now he has to take the grub out on the sidewalk because Mindy objects. Naturally, Nip and Tuck grow very fond of Regret. So does John Wangle, because all three of them are beginning to fat up very nicely. In fact, in several days, the bloodhounds' ribs become practically invisible, where before they stick out like bones on a well-picked heron. Then it comes up one night... And I am with regret in the 300 Club, where the scene is as follows. <laughs> now I ask you, Broadway, this is the life, huh? It is all right. Wonderful music, beautiful dolls. Yeah, speaking of dolls, is that not Miss Lovey Lou sitting over there? Huh? Yeah, yeah, it is. And soak me for a herring if she is not with Marvin Clay. Broadway, it burns me when I think of a very nice doll like Lovey Lou being with a heel like Marvin Clay. Well, he is a very well-heeled heel. Miss Lovey Lou is not one to overlook fine points like that. I will thank you not to talk about Lovey in that manner. Oh, it seems like you take an interest in her. I am interested, yes. I am interested. What is happening over there? It seems to me that Marvin Clay wants to dance without getting up. Why, the... Dirty. I'm going to put a stop to it. It is none of your business, Regret. I'll make it mine. Do not be a sap. I'm going to smash his ever-loving face into pieces. Come on. Regret, do not bother yourself. It is no bother. It is more like a play. You will be bounced out of here. Please behave yourself. Oh, now, Take your hands off Miss Lovey Lou. Ah, who the devil are you? Take your hands off her. That's what I keep telling him. I will give you a split second to unhand her. <laughs> Go away, you idiot. Mr. Clay, I am going to unhinge your head from the rest of you. Oh, you... You Dan, I'll have you thrown into jail so fast, you... You asked for it, Mr. Clay! I'll get you for this, you, you top... Get up and get out of here, fast! Go on! You heard what the man said, beat it! You hear about this? Yeah. Come on, lovey Lou. It's all right, everyone. 
Just a little accident. That is all. Regret? That was wonderful. Oh, it is nothing, lovey. Any time at all. Regret? I think you are in trouble. Me? Why? Marvin Clay is not the kind of a citizen who will take this laying down. Uh, then I will see that he lays down. Huh. Meanwhile, I have a dance with Miss Lovey Lou. How about it, lovey? I think that'll be just lovey. It will be just lovey, she says. And it is. It seems regret falls for Miss Lovey Lou, and for the next week he sees a great deal of her. In fact, he cannot miss, because she is in the floor show at the 300 Club, and one is able to see a great deal of all the dolls there. Anyway, it seems he forgets all about John Wangle and Nip and Tuck for some days. Then, it comes up one morning, and I am again standing in front of Mindy's at about 4 a.m., when I see somebody coming toward me. And who is it but a police inspector by the name of McNamara? And he says to me... Ah, morning, Broadway. Good morning, Mac. What brings you out before the sun? Trouble, trouble, nothing but trouble. What is this particular trouble? Looking for a friend of yours. That gives you trouble? In this case, yeah. Broadway, where's regret? Regret? Why, I, I do not see him for almost a week. In fact, it is about a week. Sure. Sure. Well, I guess you're telling the truth. Is there uh, any particular reason you are out this early looking for regret? Well, yeah, I guess you could call it a particular reason. I see. Like I say, I, I do not see him. Yeah, like you say. Uh, I guess I got a tramp all over town together. Oh, you could be in any one of several hundred places. But uh, you do not yet tell me why you look for him. You know, Marvin Clay... I uh, hear of him, yeah, but I am not on speaking terms. Have a fight? No, I just do not know him well enough. I see. How about regret? Regret? You remember regret. We just talked about him a couple of seconds ago. What about him? And Marvin Clay? Well, it seems that regret and Clay had a few words about a week ago. And uh, from what I heard, regret gave Clay five fingers in a knot. So? So about an hour ago, I got a call to see a man who was shot. Shot? With a gun? It seems reasonable to draw that conclusion. Seeing as how there were some holes in Mr. Marvin Clay. Clay? And, and, and regret? I got to ask regret a few questions and I... Do... What is a steamboat doing up this far? Uh, those are dogs. Uh, bloodhounds. Holy cats. Look at the size of them. Morning, Broadway. Take it easy, Nip. Now, settle down, Tuck. Settle down. Get those horses off the side. Yeah, yeah. You, you better run along, Wangle. Uh, he ain't here again, huh? No, no, he is not here. But he will be late. And now run along. Here, here. Take this bob and buy something. We sure miss regret. Regret? Regret the horse player? Best friend man a dog ever had. Wait a minute. You know regret? Uh, just slightly, Inspector. The, the, the dogs have a, a sniff in the quaint. Shut up, Broadway. Uh, you. What's your name? Wangle. Why? These are bloodhounds, aren't they? Best man trackers in the whole world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now, now run along. Wangle. I told you to shut up. Uh, Wangle, these dogs know regret pretty well. Why, well, I reckon Nip and Tuck could sniff out regret from all the people in the whole world. Uh, and uh, just suppose, uh, suppose regret had been someplace and had gone. Could these dogs track them down? Mister... Even if the trail's more than a day old, they can do it. 
Okay. Here's where I save some legwork. Come along. Where to? You want to find regret, right? Wangle, do not listen Shut to Shut up. This. How about it, Wangle? Mister, you could just show Nip and Tuck where regret was last, and they'll get to him in no time at all. So, that is that. I figure regret is cooked. And what comes after is something that the main stem will never forget. And how it ends is quite a story, which I will tell you in a minute. And now, back to the Damon Runyon Theater and the famous story, The Bloodhounds of Broadway. Well, there we go, off into the cold gray morning. McNamara has it no other way than I go along. I do not know why, but there I am at 4.15 a.m., tearing along behind Nip and Tuck, who are taken to the scene of the shooting. They sniff around, then both of them put out about a yard of tongue, dig in, and the next thing I know, we are a sight to behold indeed. Nip and Tuck are leading. Behind them is John Wangle holding the lead ropes. Then comes Inspector McNamara, and then me, followed by ten gendarmes. <laughs> Hey, hey, Wangle, slow him down a little. Mister, when Nip and Tuck are after somebody, they go like grease lightning. Poor regret. And after all he does for those flea circuses. Yeah, saves me plenty of legwork. Wangle, sure those dogs are going in the right direction? Mister, they ain't never made no mistake in their whole life. If Mr. Regret went this way, they know it. If it is all the same to you, Mac, I will get off here. You're going along, Broadway. You're going to help me find it. Hey, hey, they stop, mister. This is where Mr. Regret is. Why, there's nothing but an old garage. Can't have it, mister. Nip and Tuck know this is where he is. Well, quiet him down. Sure, Nip, Tuck. Quiet now, quiet now. Easy now. Easy. What is Regret doing in this old garage? What do you think? Hiding out. Boys, spread out. Kelly, Rabinowitz, get around to the back. Burton, take three men, cover the sides of this place. Rest of you back me up when I go in the front here. Where do you want me, Mac? Home? Keep off to one side. Regrets get a rod. Now, careful, boys. You're going in after a desperate man. All right? Take off. Okay. Here we go, boys. Wolf, kick open that door. If it ain't open, shoot it open. All right, Regret, you're covered. Cut the gun. Stand where you are. Stand still, every last man of you. Well, well, well. A crap game. Maybe you guys ain't read the law about it. But, but where is Regret? Mister, Mister Nip and Tuck want to get going again. Mister Regret ain't here, but he was. Yeah. Okay, we'll go in a minute. First, I want to take down some names of certain citizens who are breaking the law by shooting craps. Line up. Line up and give your right names. (laughs) 
McNamara makes this haul and we take off again with Nip and Tuck leading the way. They make stop after stop. By this time, there is quite a crowd following because it is by no means a usual thing to see a troop of gendarmes chasing after two bloodhounds who have got their bellies close to the pavement. Every now and then, the dogs let loose with those loud wails. And the result is a lot of citizens hurt themselves leaping from windows and fire escapes, figuring somebody's after them. Then Nip and Tuck make another stop, and the scene is as follows. Look, Wangle, this is the 18th stop we've made. Where is regret? I can't help it, mister. Every place Nip and Tuck stopped, regret was there. He is quite busy. So far, we break up three crap games, two poker parties, various and sundry other illegal enterprises, and etc. Wangle, these dogs are nothing but stool pigeons. I can't help it, Mr. Broadway. I go where Nip and Tuck go. All right, Wangle. We'll try this joint. Hey, wait a minute. This is no joint. This is where Miss Maud Milligan lives. So? She is Big Sam's friend. And I wish no part of being any place that Big Sam might be. We're going in. All right, boys. Once more. This may be it. Spread out. Your gendarmes are becoming pretty tired, man. Oh, shut up. All right, Wolf. Give the buzzer a punch. Yeah, who is it? Open up, Maud. Inspector McNamara. Hey, what's the idea? Waking me up in the middle of the night. Open up or we'll break the door in. Take that chain off. Get ready, boys. All right, Wangle. Let him loose. Elephants! Wangle, Wangle, quiet him down. Get him quiet. Talk down now, down. Settle down, boy. Those ain't no things to scare a girl with at five in the morning. You get him out of here. Where is he, Maud? You get him out. Huh? Who? Quit stalling. I want regret. You, are you kidding? Oh, I ain't heard nothing like that in my whole life. And he's looking at me. Listen, Maud, I want regret. Yes, he ain't here either, mister. What? Listen, Wangle. I can't help it. But they want to get going. Come on. Well, then you let them. And you, McNamara, I'm going to see my alderman, the mayor, and, and maybe the governor about this. No, You've got Ma no right breaking in here and making a zoo out of my apartment. Look, I'm going to I... sue you. I'll have you thrown off the force. I'll see the newspaper oh, boys and tell them how you go around with... with. Will somebody tell me what they are? Bloodhounds, Maud. Well, I ain't Eliza and I ain't never been an ice skater. Now, get up. All right, all right, Maud, all right. Don't get sore. Just a mistake. Well, don't you ever make another one like it. McNamara gets out. So do Nip and Tuck. By this time, McNamara is no dog lover, and I know he never will be. But he gives Wangle one more chance to find regret or get thrown in the tank for obstructing justice. So off we go again, and we end up at the Club 300. And this time, it is the end of the trail, because sitting over the table with Miss Lovey Lou is nobody but regret. Nip and Tuck take one look, and before anybody knows what happens, they are across the floor and practically in his lap. Licking his face. <laughs> Mac is right after them. Here he is, boys. Get him. Hey, what is going on? Oh, look. The pickle bar's going from life. Oh, Wango, call him off. Get him away from me. And all this comes from being kind to animals. Oh, Wango, get him away from me. Get him away. I'm going to be liar for the shooting of Harvin Clay. No. Wango, no. do something. I can't see regret. Get, get him away. No. Don't let them take you, Broadway. If you are able to think of how I can stop 11 coppers, uh, do so now or yeah. forever hold your peace. Oh, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. Maybe so, but it is too late to think about it now. You, you don't understand, Broadway. Regret didn't shoot Marvin Clay. I did. Oh, sure. Huh? Listen, come over away from this real fast. Come on. 
Now, what is this you say? It's true. It's true he's a healer. Maybe so. But there is the law against shooting even heels. What'll they do to regret? Does regret know you shoot, Clay? What'll they do to regret? What do you think? Broadway, it was an accident. I swear it was an accident. I found out it was going out with my baby sister. I never know you have one. I do. I went to see Marvin Clay. He laughed. He took a gun out of a drawer and said I had to get out. And I got mad. I, I slapped him and there was a fight. The gun went off. Yeah, I see. But what about regret? Broadway, I'll, I'll tell him what really happened. And you better hurry up before one of two things happens. Either he is taken to the pokey or he is swallowed by those dogs. later, they untangle regret from Nip and Tuck. By this time, he is pretty done in, but Wangle says the dogs are just playing. Now, this is not the end of the story. In fact, there is quite a bit more, and I will tell you the payoff in just a minute. say, Regret is untangled from the door. McNamara arrests him, but uh, Miss Lovey Lou comes forward with her story. The upshot is the whole bunch are taken to headquarters, including me. Of course, I am released because I am just an innocent bystander. Well, it is two days after all this that I am sitting in Mindy's when in comes Regret, all dressed up, and he has two suitcases with him. He sits down and says... Hello, Broadway. Regret. I am glad to see you. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I am leaving town, Broadway. I see you are carrying suitcases. And it seems to me you look more than somewhat nervous. Uh-huh. I, uh, I'm just killing time before I leave. Uh-huh. Uh, how does the whole thing turn out, Regret? Oh, all right. Yeah, I hear that Marvin Clay is not dead. Also that he does not prosecute Miss Lovey Lou. Uh, yeah, that is correct. Because he does not want unfavorable publicity. Sure, sure. Uh, by the way, uh, what becomes of Wangle and, and Nip and Tuck? Oh, they are ingrates. But they are sent back to Georgia. It seems some of the boys take up a collection which sets them up for life. Because they are very dangerous to have around here. They get plenty of people in trouble the night they look for me. Yeah, they do. I can see why uh, certain citizens would rather take chances with the gendarmes than with Nip and Tuck. <laughs> exactly. So, I am leaving town for a while. Oh, you and Miss Lovey Lou are going on a honeymoon? Uh-uh. I am through with Miss Lovey Lou. What? But she saves you from trouble. You know she does not have to say anything. You are the logical suspect for the gendarmes to call her. And it would be tough for you. I know. But I do not like to be married to any doll who handles a rascal. Even by accident. Think what would happen. Yeah. Yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, but then, why are you leaving town? Broadway, what is the last stop Nip and Tuck make before they find me? Uh, crab cane, the poker... Oh, oh, Maud Milligan's place. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, Big Sam is out of town at the time. But I hear he is coming back. Now, I am going to leave town for a while because... Maybe if he hears about Nip and Tuck going to Maud's place, Big Sam might get the wrong idea. Goodbye, Broadway. Oh. 
And so ends the famous Damon Runyon story, The Bloodhounds of Broadway. Listen in again next week for... The Damon Runyon Theater. The Damon Runyon Theater with John Brown as Broadway is directed by Richard Sandville and the story is adapted for radio by Russell Hughes. Vern Carstensen is in charge of production. This is a Mayfair production. Stay tuned for the Fred Allen Show next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fred Allen to take his walk down Allen's Alley. The Fred Allen Show is a popular and long-running American old-time radio comedy program starring comedian Fred Allen and his wife, Portland Hoffa. Over the course of the program's 17-year run, it was sponsored by Lynnett Bath Soaps, Hellman's, uh, Ipana Toothpaste, Texaco, and Tenderleaf Tea. The most popular period of the program was the few years of sponsorship under the Texaco Gas Company. During this time, the program was known as Texaco Star Theater with Fred Allen. On the 6th of December, 1942, an episode of the program, uh, Allen premiered his first in a series of segments known as Allen's Alley. The segments would have Allen strolling down an imaginary neighborhood, knocking on the doors of various neighbors, including average American John Doe folks, played by John Brown, Mrs. Nussbaum, uh, Minerva Pius, what a great name for an actress, Minerva Pius. Then pompous poet Falstaff Openshaw, played by Alan Reed. Titus Moody, that was played by Parker Fenley. And boisterous Southern Southerner Beauregard Cleghorn, played by announcer Kenny Delmar. Well, let's find out who's with Fred in Portland tonight. And the program was first aired in 1946. <laughs> It isn't a friend of Gladys Sabisco's, kiddies. The makers of Blue Bonnet Margarine and Tenderleaf Tea present the Fred Allen Show with Fred's guests, Phil Baker, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius as Mrs. Nussbaum, Alan Reed as Falstaff Openshaw, the Tenderleaf Workshop Players, the DeMarco Sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And if you're wondering who plays Senator Claghorn, my name is Kenny Delmar. This week, ladies and gentlemen, Bing Crosby's sponsor started suit to get Bing to go back on the air. Tonight, we bring you a man whose sponsor is thinking of starting suit to get him off the air, and here he is, Fred Allen. Thank you. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And, Kenny, I was reading about that Bing Crosby suit. You know, I don't uh, really think that Bing wants to work. I hear he's moving to Stamford. <laughs> well, we're off to a nice dull start. Anything that happens from now on will be a highlight, Kenny. Well, what about your sponsor, Fred? Well, our sponsor thinks, I believe, he thinks we're a little behind the times with our show, Kenny. Well, how do you mean? Well, all of the other radio programs don't bother with entertainment anymore. They're just giving things away. Jack Benny's giving away $10,000. 
Bob Hope's giving away Jeeps, and Red Skelton is giving away automobiles. Yeah, well, don't you think you should give something away, Fred? I was just going to announce it, Kenny. Attention, ladies and gentlemen. Starting next week, to every person who wins an automobile on Red Skelton's program, I will give a road map. <laughs> I'll even open it if the party's too weak. I'll even open the road map. Well, that ought to cause plenty of talk. Yes. <laughs> and it's the kind of talk I don't want to be around to hear, Kenny. I have enough trouble the way things are. Well, Clark... Kenny and I were just talking about radio programs giving things away. Oh, radio is wonderful. Well, how do you mean? My uncle was on a program called Blind Date. Oh, uh, what happened? His number was called, and he had to take out a chorus girl. I see. Next day, they both went on a program called People Are Funny, and he proposed to her. He did, huh? Then they went on a program called Honeymoon in New York and got married over 150 stations. 150 stations, good. Then they went on Truth or Consequences and won enough furniture for their house. They lived happily ever after? No. They went on Battle of the Sexes and had a big fight. Well, is the marriage off? Well, we won't know until tomorrow. Well, what's tomorrow? They're on Mr. Anthony's program. <laughs> They have completed their happy kilocycle, in other words. But you know, you were... You can almost... You can almost get anything in, in the radio today. But sometimes things go wrong. Well, how do you mean? Mama wrote a limerick for the National Barn Dance Contest. And something went wrong? Instead of the first prize of a hundred bottles of Alka-Seltzer... Yeah? They sent her two hillbillies. Two hillbillies. <laughs> well, how did your mother, with her broken lorgnette... No, the <laughs> mother with that limp lawnette that hangs down so she can't look through it. How did she know the difference? Well, she put one of the hillbillies in water. And? He didn't fizz. Oh, well, that would give it away. <laughs> Probably made the water good and dirty, though. But speaking of fizzes reminds me, <laughs> we better start thinking of getting along to see those old familiar fizzes down in Allen's Alley. What is your question for tonight? Well, Portland, this week the New York movie critics made their annual awards for the outstanding films and performances of 1945. And so this evening our question is, if you are a movie fan, what pictures and performances impressed you most during the past year? Shall we go? As the druggist said when he had a headache, I think I'll take a powder. <laughs> Well, Portland, here we are back in Allen's Alley. Say, the senator's home tonight. His hound dog is curled up there under the porch. See it? Somebody, I say, somebody now. Yes, I know. Claghorn's the name, Senator Claghorn. I it? know, I know. You're from Dixie. When I eat crackers in bed, I only eat Georgia crackers. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> when I leave New York, I always take the South Ferry. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> way down upon the Swanee River. Look, you're a little... I'm singing Swanee, son. Well, I know what you're singing. Show some reverence, son. Kneel down and uncover. Now, wait a <laughs> Now, just let, let me, me get... talk for a change. Change, that is. You let me get a word yeah, in. Keep chattering, son. I don't even get a chance. Oh, to... son, going like a cow's tail in fly time. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> While you're taking in a little wind, Senator, do you mind if I intersperse something in here? 
What was Washington's reaction to the choice of the most popular movie stars? We took our own poll in Congress. Everybody was talking all at once. Even Senator Brooks was babbling. (laughs) (laughs) Babbling Brooks, that's a joke. I know it. I don't There's care. There's a Savannah Sockeroo. Look, I don't care. How I track wise and you look dumb. I'm looking dumb. <laughs> Hold up, son. You're subnormal. Stop <laughs> that in. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Be careful how low you go, even in water, Senator. Now, you watch that sub stuff. Now, look. About these Hollywood stars. Are you a movie fan? I quit. I say, I quit going to movies, son. Why? Last picture I saw made my down yonder blood boil. Your down yonder blood was boiling, eh? Well, what happened? At the end of the picture, Ann Southern married Cary Grant. But why? Uh... I couldn't stand to see another Grant taking anything Southern. Go on, Go on, Go on, Well, goodbye, Senator. Go on, Well, <laughs> the senator, <laughs> the senator must have just finished dinner. I, I smelled a little hog jowl on his breath. <laughs> oh well, I, uh, I wonder. Let's get along down the alley. I wonder what Titus Moody has on his mind tonight. Howdy, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Mister. Um, Mr. Moody, you uh, you look a little weary tonight. Yeah, I've had tough sledding all week. Oh, why uh, why should you have tough sledding? No snow. Oh, well. <laughs> Tell me, uh, Mr. Moody, how do you feel about these movie awards? Boris Karloff should have won. You think that he's the best actor? No, Tindy's acting. Well, what makes you such an ardent Karloff fan? Well, I'll tell you. I got a big wart on my Adam's apple. Oh, a wart, eh? Yeah, it's right here under my collar button. I see it there. When I put on my collar, the collar button presses against the wart. Yeah? The wart presses against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. Oh, what, what, uh... The only pleasure, the only pleasure I've had for ten years, I owe Boris Karloff. Well, how do you mean? Well, when I go into theater, my collar button is pressing against the wart. Yeah? The wart's pressing against my Adam's apple. Uh-huh. I'm in agonizing pain. <laughs> Then, Boris Karloff comes on the screen. Yes. My flesh starts to creep. Yes. The wart creeps up over my collar. Yes. I can't explain the feeling. It's utopia. (laughs) When the picture is over... Then, the wart creeps back down. The collar button starts pressing. I'm in agonizing pain again. Well, as far as you and your wart are concerned, outside of Boris Karloff... All them other Hollywood actors is just a pain in the neck. So long, Bob. So long. <laughs> well, when Boris Karloff is in town, Mr. Moody's wart is going places. Now, let's see what happens next door here. No. Oh, Mrs. Nussbaum. You were expecting maybe Olivia de Hellevar? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Mrs. Nussbaum, are you a movie fan? Not me, my husband, Pierre. Oh, Pierre, Pierre likes pictures, huh? Every day you're seeing movies, always in Technicolor. Oh, Technicolor, huh? To Pierre, every picture is looking Technicolor. Well, how come? His eyes are bloodshot. <laughs> but don't you seeing so many movies bother Pierre? 
Always he is coming home with different personalities. Well, how do you mean? Pierre is seeing a picture with uh, Ronald Coleman. Yeah? He is making with an English accent. Oh, eh? Really? He is opening the door and saying, What's much to old Crumpet? <laughs> Also, Zygesund and Chirial. And he's certainly cultured, what? He is singing in a picture, Bingle Crosby. Yes. Around the house, Pierre is singing, I see. Then Pierre is singing, Bob Hope. Yes. He is making with rice crackles. Well, say, with such a versatile husband, you must be very happy. I am getting a divorce. Well, why? Last week, Pierre is seeing in a picture of Tarzan. So? He is refusing to live home. You mean you can't get him into the house? I can't get him down from the tree. <laughs> well, here we are at the last shack in Allen's Alley. I wonder what a knock will bring here. Sound the trumpets, round me rally. Falstaff's back in Allen's Alley. Falstaff, open show. Where have you been? I have been enjoying a sabbatical on the Bowery. Oh, you... <laughs> You've been coining new dactyls? Oh, indubitably. Really? Have you heard, said the bumblebee to the little flea, don't touch that stuff, it's DDT? <laughs> no. Or, uh, as the waiter said when he brought the horseradish, I hope that covers your beef. <laughs> no. How about this? My mother is lonesome when she goes to a fire. LaGuardia isn't there, and neither is O'Dwyer. Now, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. That is, you've overdone it finally, Falstaff. Tonight, we are simply discussing the Critics' Awards for the best films of 1945. Precisely why I greyhounded it. <laughs> I have contrived an epic. A poem about the movie awards? What is it called? The Forgotten Award. And how does it go? Each year, the critics give awards to pictures and to actors. The direction and performances they term deciding factors. Paramount is cited an award to movie tone, a plaque to Ingrid Bergman. Even Lassie gets a bone. <laughs> I hail the movie industry, but I also must remind him that an award should be awarded to the man who is behind it. This guy makes Hollywood possible. He's not director, star, or picket. He's just the average man who digs down and buys a ticket. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. And from the rancid rhymes of Bard Openshaw, we turn to the refreshing refrains of the five DeMarco sisters. Accompanied by, <laughs> accompanied by Maestro Al Goodman and his United Nations Ensemble, <laughs> the DeMarco sings The Moment I Met You. Thank you. 
Chasing Rainbows, another in the Maestro Al Goodman series of Remnant Rhapsody. Say, Portland. Yes? Has that uh, lawyer called me yet? Lawyer? Are you in trouble? Am I in trouble? All week I've been in more hot water than a slice of lemon in a Russian tea room. (laughs) I am out on bail right now. Gosh, what happened? Well, you've read that line in some other program we've had. That's very (laughs) reminiscent. Well, Portland, you want to know what happened? The whole thing started last Sunday night after the broadcast. You know, I generally go over to the hamburger hovel on 8th Avenue. For a nickel over there, they serve a hamburger as big as a catcher's mitt. Even a buckle in the back of the hamburger. They They put the piccalilli on with a trowel. Well, I took a cab at Radio City, and we were driving along the street. We had gone a few blocks when the driver said... Uh, you said the Hamburger Hubble, didn't you, bud? Yes, driver. Okay. Hey, Miss Busy, as a termite in the woodwork, <laughs> I must jump the as a yo-yo on a string. Boy, can that Sinatra write music. Say, driver, driver, just a minute, driver. Stop the cab. Okay, okay. Something wrong? Something wrong, chump? I just felt in my pocket. My wallet's gone. I must have left it at the studio. You mean you ain't got no dough? Well, I I haven't any money with me. this is a buck even. Get it up, Chisler. Now, well, look, if you'll just take me back to Radio City... So you can beat it out the other door. I had that fool on me before, chump. Where's that crank handle? Now, look, driver. (laughs) Come on, out of the cab. I'm going to crown you with this crank handle. Now, wait a minute. Take this. You rats, you duck. Now, don't lose your head, driver You broke my window I broke your window You broke the window Well, if you'd have stood still, I'd have hit you Now, look A dollar on the meter, seven for the window That's eight bucks you owe me Now, I'll pay you the money Don't get excited Your blood pressure will go up, driver I'm, uh, I'm Fred Allen Sure, and I'm Jack Benny Look, no hair (laughs) Big stalling, wise guy Give me eight bucks Say, look, driver Look, across the street there. It's a radio studio, so what? Well, that sign. It says, tonight, Phil Baker in Take It or Leave It. So what? Say, I've got an idea. Now, Phil Baker's program goes on the air in about five minutes. I'll go on Take It or Leave It. I'll change my name. Phil Baker won't even know who I am. I'll answer four of those easy questions. I'll quit with the eight dollars. You'll have your money. Now, is it a deal? Okay. But you better win, brother. I got insurance. Insurance? This crank handles me insurance. Let's go. All right. Let's... Well, Portland, the cab driver and I got into the radio studio just in time. Luck was with me. My number was called. I was chosen as a contestant. I was sitting on the stage... The cab driver was glaring at me from the front row when I heard the announcer say... Presenting Take It or Leave It, starring Phil Baker. Yes, Take It or Leave It.
is the most exciting game you ever played. The game that doubles in interest with every question asked. The game with the giant jackpot. And now we give you the man with the $64 question. Our paymaster of ceremonies. And here he is, Phil Baker. Thank you and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the halls of Montezuma. Boy, there are plenty of people here tonight. I haven't seen such a crowd since the window shade in Betty Grable's dressing room fell down. But I really feel swell. You know, last Sunday night, Secretary Burns was pinch-hitting for me, answering some Russian $64 questions. So I went to Florida for a rest. Florida. Folks, there is a state. That's where the sun goes to get away from that California weather. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time to go to Florida, though. You go down there, your face is white. You get a great tan. You check out of the hotel, get your bill, and <laughs> you turn white again. <laughs> Those prices in Miami. I had a room overlooking a grapefruit for $18 a day. <laughs> and speaking of grapefruit, here's our first contestant. What is your name, miss? Shirley S. Gum. Shirley S. Gum? What does the S stand for? Spearman. <laughs> Where's your home, Shirley? Elephant, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. <laughs> And what is your occupation, Shirley? I work in Bloomingdale's. I'm a laugher. A laugher at Bloomingdale's? Yeah, when women come in and ask for nylons, I laugh you at them. You laugh at them. <laughs> I've heard of let a smile be your umbrella, but let a laugh be your nylons is a new one on me. Now, Miss Gum, what category have you selected from the board? Uh, popular music. Good, popular music. For one dollar, what is the name of this popular song? <laughs> All right, what is the name of that popular song? Popular? I never heard of it. It's very popular. It ain't in Brooklyn. Ain't... <laughs> now, now, think. What, what, was, what was that song? Hmm? Chick? 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 Three chicks and a chuck? No. Chickering chick! Yeah, I think I got it, Mr. Baker, is it? Chickory chick? Did you hear somebody yell that in the audience? Did somebody yell something? <laughs> you know, I'm as deep as a haddock. Yeah. I was born with two cauliflower ears. My mother was in the golden glove. <laughs> well, all right. I'm going to give you the dollar. Would you like to try it with two? Yeah, give me the buck. You're quitting? Yeah, my boyfriend's a collar fitter. He just wants a sample. I see. Come on. Come on. Well, that brings us to our next contestant. And your name, sir? Prentice Pontoon. <laughs> Prentice Pontoon. Did you yes. receive a present before you came up to the microphone? Uh, yes, sir. An ever sharp fountain pen. Right. And it's guaranteed not for years, not for life, but guaranteed forever. Yes, sir. You look a little nervous. Would you like a cup of tea? I, I thought you served coffee, Mr. Baker. Not on this program. You'll take tea or a drink of hot blue bonnet margarine. No, no thanks. You say your name is... Uh, um, Prentice Pontoon. Did anyone ever tell you that you looked like Fred Allen? Yes, I've been beaten up twice by radio listeners. <laughs> You've even got bags under your eyes like Allen. Yes, I know. What is your occupation, Mr. Pontoon? I am an oculist in a fish market. Mm. <laughs> oculist in a fish market. When they lay a lot of dead fish in a fish market window, yes. I check on their eyes to make sure the fish are all looking in the same direction. Oh. <laughs> I see. If one fish is looking the other way, it throws the whole window off. Yes. <laughs> You're 
We're just working for the halibut. Yeah. Now, uh... <laughs> you know, I get people on this program with the darndest occupation. Really? One guy works in a restaurant on 2nd Avenue. He's a lentil feeler. A lentil feeler? Yes. If you order lentil soup, he puts his hand in and feels your lentils. <laughs> yeah. He takes out the hard lentils so they won't hurt your gums. He does messy work, <laughs> I yes, should think. <laughs> That's a joke, sir. I just want to... Another guy is a booster at the automat. When midgets come into the automat, he boosts them up so that they can see what dishes are in the top compartment. Well, that's <laughs> nice work, actually. Another guy is a perfume advisor in a five and ten cent store. A perfume advisor? Yes. When you take the top off a bottle, he tells you if what you smell is the perfume or another customer. Oh, <laughs> you have some uh, odd characters on your program, Mr. Baker. Tonight, especially. <laughs> What would you like to talk about, Mr. Pontoon? Well, I think... How about uh, movie stars, world history, music? Uh, uh, world All history. All right, Mr. Pontoon, for one dollar. Take it easy now. Yeah. Who is the president of the United States? No coaching, please. The president. He uh, was on the radio last Thursday instead of Abbott and Costello. That's, one, yeah. <laughs> That's right. He said to Congress, you're bad boy. <laughs> What's the president's name? Uh, think now. Herman Truman. Well, that's close enough. Okay, you have a dollar. Hey, you're okay, chum. Quiet, please. No help from the audience. Do you want to try for two bucks with the pontoon? He's better. Well, what do you say? Well, you heard him. I'll try for two dollars. <laughs> Good. When you see pictures of Napoleon with his hand inside of his coat, what modern cartoon character does he remind you of? Itchy. Itchy is correct. <laughs> you're a very intelligent young man. Quiet. Who is this character in the audience? A friend of yours? The next two questions will decide. <laughs> Who was he waving that crank handle at? Well, he ordered a new car, but so far the crank handle is all he's gotten from General Motors. <laughs> okay, Mr. Pontoon, for four dollars. What brand of tea was used at the Boston Tea Party? Tenderleaf tea. Tenderleaf tea is absolutely correct. Now for eight bucks, Mr. Pontoon. Why did Sitting Bull sit down? Would you, uh, repeat the question, please, Mr. Bates? For $8, why did Sitting Bull sit down? Uh, he was waiting for the cows to come home. No. You give up? Well, I... You'll be sorry! <laughs> His suspenders broke? No. You don't know, do you? Frankly, I don't, Mr. Well, Baker. I'm sorry. Sitting Bull sat down because in those days there were so many things he couldn't stand for. See? Sorry, stand by for the giant jackpot. Yes, sir, Mr. Baker. Well, Portland, after I lost the giant jackpot, too, and the program was over, I sneaked out the side door. The cab driver and the crank handle were waiting for me. I didn't have the money, so I offered him the fountain pen Phil Baker had given me. The cab driver said... A fountain pen? First you chiseled me out of eight bucks, now you want me to learn how to write, eh? Police! Police! Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, driver. This pen is worth $20. You'll be making $12. You can sell it to somebody. You sell it to somebody. All I want is eight bucks. Okay. The people are coming out of the broadcast now. I'll go around in front of the theater and sell it to someone. Me and the crank handle will be sitting in the cab waiting. Make it snappy. Cad, what a predicament. At my age, a sidewalk peddler. Well, the audience is coming out. I'll try this guy here. Hey. Hey, buddy. Yes? I got a $20 fountain pen. It's yours for eight bucks. Look. Under my coat. Look under my coat. A badge. You're a detective. 
Yeah, I've been looking for you, Black Market Moe. But officer... First it was fake almond bars with stones in them. Now it's hot fountain pen. But I'm not Black Market Moe. I'm Fred Allen. I just got this fountain pen and take it or leave it. Honest, look. Here's Phil Baker coming out of the theater. Phil can identify me. Phil. Hey, Phil. Hello, Mr. Baker. Hello, officer. What's the trouble? Tell him who I am, Phil. You know me. I'm Fred Allen. You know this character, Mr. Baker? Yes, I know him. Tell him who I am, Phil. Well, he's Prentice Pontoon. Phil. I'm Fred Allen on the radio. You're a noculist in a fish market. Uh, thanks, Mr. Baker. Come on, you. But, but, Phil, don't let him take me to court. I'll have to do time. You bet you will. But I... But for selling an Ebershaw pen on the street, <laughs> you'll go to jail not for years, not for life, but forever. Okay, black market mall, let's go. And now, Kenny, with a flattering word about the American woman. All over the world, the American woman is famous for her beauty. Her home is the ideal in other lands, too, and the way she runs it. She is practical about her home, her appearance, her dress, all her shopping. And it's being so practical it makes her choose Tenderleaf T-Balls over all others. Yes, Tenderleaf T-Balls are better in every way. That's why they're the largest selling T-Balls in America. They provide finer tea, rich in fragrance, richer in flavor, made with famous for flavor Tenderleaf brand tea. Their greater convenience is a big help, too. Individual packets of tasteless filter paper, crisp white and appealing, ready any time to drop into your cup for a cup of quick comfort when you need it most. That's all there is to it. Just add boiling water and your quick comfort is ready. Heartwarming, delicious, crystal clear Tenderleaf tea. So for every good reason, ask your grocer for Tenderleaf brand tea balls. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks, Phil Baker. Next week, ladies and gentlemen, our guest will be the eminent Shakespearean actor and star of Hamlet, Marie Severance. Thanks a lot for joining us and good night. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, being Halloween, it's War of the Worlds, Part 1 and Part 2. Thanks to Joe Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.